The epistle is from Galatians chapter 4. When the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Grace, mercy, and peace to you from God the Father and from our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. Our gospel reading this morning continues on the story of Jesus. We're all familiar with what happened on Christmas, and our gospel reading describes what took place after that. It has to do with the law of God. The law of God required the Old Testament people to circumcise their baby boys eight days after they were born, and then 40 days after the mother has given birth, there needs to be an offering that is made, marking the time of the end of her ceremonial uncleanness. So. You heard our gospel reading describe this, how Mary and Joseph went up into Jerusalem and they offered two young pigeons at the temple and they presented Jesus as the firstborn to the Lord. In a way, these activities are unremarkable. Jewish people have been doing these things for hundreds of years by this point and since Mary and Joseph were devout Jews. They did what was expected of them according to the law. What was unusual about the situation was that Jesus wasn't just any ordinary Jewish boy. He was also God's son. And since Jesus was and is God's son, he is the originator of the law. He's the Lord of the law. That meant that he was free. He didn't need to enter under those laws. That made him different than the Israelites. The Israelites were not free either to observe the law or not observe the law. If the boys and men were not circumcised, they were cut off from the people of God. And if people were not cleansed according to the laws of Moses, then they were kept separate from the communion of saints, the holy people. The God-giving laws were the basis for their standing before God. If they were on the right side of the law, then all was well. If they were on the wrong side of the law, then they were cut off. Although Jesus, the Son of God, was not compelled to be subservient to these laws, he freely did so. And the reason why he did so was to set people free from having the law as the basis for their standing before God. He entered into those laws to keep those laws on behalf of all, in this way, he fulfilled those laws and satisfied what was required by the law 
so that his obedience may be credited to us. Our epistle reading today gives us a wonderfully clear and memorable passage. It's kind of along the lines of John 3.16 in that regard, a very full and concise explanation of what Jesus does. It reads, In the fullness of time, God sent forth his Son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons. Let's briefly look more closely at these words. God sent forth his Son in the fullness of time. He sent him at the right time. God's Son was born of a woman, not the normal place to find God. He was born under the law, not the normal place to find the giver of the law. The reason for all of this, though, is for redemption. That is the key word in this passage. God did these things to redeem those who were under the law. This redemption changes the basis for our standing before God. Having been redeemed from the law, the basis for our relationship is no longer the law. The law required certain actions and forbade other actions. Instead of our relationship before God being based on what we've done, we've been redeemed from that so that our relationship with God may be on the basis of grace. The language that Paul uses for that is that we are adopted as sons. The reason why he uses the term sons instead of a more general term like children is because we are adopted only through Jesus, who is God's son, and he's the only one. We receive Jesus' status as sons of God when we are baptized into him and when we believe in him. It is by being connected to the only begotten Son that we receive adoption as sons of God, regardless of whether we are male or female. So in one sense, when we look at the happenings that Luke describes in our Gospel reading, they are unremarkable. Israelites had been doing these kinds of things for a very long time. However, in another sense, and under the surface, so to speak, the most momentous things are taking place. Fulfillment was taking place. Redemption was taking place. The relationship that human beings have with God was being revealed as being on, upon a different basis. This relationship with God was not to be on the basis of the works of the law, but upon faith in God's grace. Instead of having a relationship like a slave or an employee, who is only as valued and as esteemed as the work that he or she can perform, we are adopted as sons of God who are loved simply for who they are, for their status that they have in Christ. 
There's a surprisingly practical importance to this teaching that can otherwise, frankly, sound a little strange. There's really nothing else in life that's like it. And it has to do with what we say about ourselves. What makes you who you are? What do you have to say about yourself? And when we think of the answers to that question, uh, the immediate ones, the natural ones that come to mind are those things that we manage to do for ourselves. So, you know, you're hardworking, you're smart, you're popular, you're moral, you're good-looking. I could go on with many other possible positive attributes but even with these few that I've listed, um, doubts immediately come to mind, do they not? Are you that good-looking? Are you that moral? Are you that popular? I wonder if I couldn't find some other specimens of humanity that might exceed you with your attributes and talents. I bet I could. And besides these answers to the question of what do you have to say about yourself, what makes you good, we have the more important criteria that God provides. Have you loved God? Have you loved your neighbor, your fellow human being? Have you thanked and praised, served and obeyed God? Have you? honored your parents and other authorities? Have you hurt someone by your words or deeds? Have you, been, have you stolen, been negligent, wasted anything or done any harm? These commands are different. With the rat race where everyone is trying to be the best, the best athlete, the best looking, the richest, and so on, there's no divine command about these things. God doesn't command you to be the best, nor does he evaluate you along those lines. Very different powers and authorities are the ones who are demanding that you be the best. This demand, this law, seems to have been cooked up not by God, but rather God's enemies the devil, the world, and our sinful nature. God's enemies do not want us to be satisfied with what we have, nor to give thanks. God's enemies want us always to be covetous and never to be thankful. God's enemies always want us to be longing to be the best and always being sorry that we aren't. God isn't like that. God won't judge you for failing to succeed in all the stupid contests about who is the greatest. What he says he will judge you for is the way that you've treated him and the way that you've treated your fellow human beings. That's God's law. Now, before I get into how practical and important the change that Jesus has brought about, I'd like to point out how little we think about God's real law 
and how much we obsess about those contests. People think a lot about how pretty they are or not pretty, or how rich they are or not rich, how successful or unsuccessful they feel. These desires are much more important to us, it seems, than God's law. And there's a good reason why these feel more important to us. We all have this belief that if only I was the best, if only I was the best at everything, then I'd be happy. And doesn't that make sense? It appears to be a truism to our common sense. If only I had everything and I was the best at everything, then I would be happy. Again, this is the common sense way that the devil keeps you coveting. Your coveting makes you blind to the riches of God that are new every morning. It makes you blind because you just won't see them. Because you're looking for something else. You're looking to be the best. Your eyes cannot see his goodness because you're always looking at the performance of your stock portfolio or the latest workout regimen or the latest gadgets and furnishings that you can acquire for your home. Your eyes don't go so high as to contemplate God's real laws about love. You're too busy believing that you need the fake measures of success that are always holding out this promise for happiness, but never delivered. In any case, whether we are dealing with the fake laws for how you are to be the best, or the divine laws that require love, the change that Jesus brings about is for the better. God's Son, born of a woman, born under the law, has redeemed us so that we might receive adoption as sons. This changes the basis for our relationship with God. This changes the answer to the question that we've been considering. What do you have to say about yourself? I can answer that by saying, I'm a recipient of God's grace. God has redeemed me, a lost and condemned person, purchased and won me from all sins, from death and from the power of the devil, not with gold or silver, but with his holy precious blood and his innocent suffering and death. And because he's purchased me, now I am his own. I've been adopted as a child of God. And since I'm adopted as a child of God, I'm also an heir. I will inherit what God decides to give me. That means that if I'm not already happy, then I know that I will be when the time is right. Everything that I have just said to you is about God, not you. God is doing all the actions. You are just the recipient. God is the Savior, not you. God is the one who provides meaning for your life, not you. God is the judge, not you. 
This is all to say that God is in control and not you. By faith, you may get on board with that and embrace it. It is no small thing to believe that Jesus is your Redeemer. It sets you in opposition to other powers and authorities who would have you interpret your life in a very different way and would offer you advice for how to be happy, hold out promises for happiness that are very different and they claim that it's sure fire and their arguments can be awfully persuasive. The promise of happiness that the scriptures make is that your happiness will be in Jesus because he puts you into a gracious relationship with God. And it's good to be in a relationship with God because God is good, God is wise. As David says in Psalm 103, God is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. He does not deal with us according to our sins, nor does he pay us according to our iniquities. As a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him. Please stand. The peace of God that transcends all understanding, keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus.